Welcome to the Black on Black Education Podcast, where we interview the most brilliant minds and connected hearts to discuss our shared passion for the transformation, the revolution, reimagining, and recreation of education in the Black community. My name is Eva Loren Jean Charles, founder of Black on Black Education and New York City High School teacher. And I'm Jamal Thomas, her partner and dad, education enthusiast, and we're, and we're your, your host. host. Please don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, to enjoy the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. This week's episode was between myself, founder of Black on Black Education, Evelyn and Jean Charles, and Miss Tiffany Smith, founder and creator of the Abroad in Education podcast. We talked about her experience teaching here in the U.S., then spending nearly six years teaching abroad in Morocco and the UAE. She talks about the reason she went abroad and gives tips to any teachers thinking about teaching abroad one day thinking about teaching abroad, or just want to hear an incredible conversation, sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back. We are on another episode of the Black on Black Education podcast. As always, I let our guests tell the listeners who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Hello, everybody. My name is Tiffany Lachelle Smith. And I am the host of the podcast, Abroad in Education, emphasis around the A, pun intended. <laughs> in the podcast, I unpack the international suitcase through interviews with EdPats, and EdPats mm-hmm. are expatriates working in education outside of their home countries. So I'm a teacher. My background is in teaching. Um, I taught in the States for two years, and then I taught in Casablanca, Morocco for two years, and I taught in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates for almost three years. I quit my job in the middle of the school year. <laughs> so for the past uh, four, four full years, this is my fifth year, I am a PhD student at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. Uh, my program is Organizational Leadership Policy and Development. And I am examining African-American teachers and their decision to leave the U.S. K-12 system for teaching opportunities abroad and the UAE is the case study. Yep. Yes. So let, I mean, let's get started with, with starting from the beginning, right? Let's talk about your, your time as an educator in the United States. So what did you teach? Why did you choose to teach that? Um, And so let's get started there. Yeah. So for me, I guess for me to talk about my experience and why, why I decided to teach, I have to start with uh, my teacher preparation program because that's when I had the opportunity to study abroad. Mm. So um, during my junior year, my background is early childhood studies and I have a minor in black studies. And uh, during my junior year, I decided to study abroad. I went to South Africa with a program called Education as an Agent for Social Change. So um, it was a six week program, um, Johannesburg, uh, Durban and Soweto. So the whole time we were there, We were supposed to be examining the educational systems, you know, what does education look like in South Africa? And unfortunately, the whole time we were there, uh, the teachers were on strike and there was a public servant strike in 2007. So it was the first time that I was able to see teachers in the streets, right, demanding what they wanted. They wanted increase in pay. They wanted better resources. So it really not only changed my mindset about education in general, but it changed my mindset about what I wanted to do with my career. Hmm. So 
<clears throat> I ended up finishing my teacher prep program. I got my degree in early childhood studies, but the rest of the time I spent in the program, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. Mm. I wanted to go back abroad. So I had this mindset, I'm going to the Peace Corps. It was the only thing I knew as far as how I could get back abroad. Mm. So I did the whole application for the Peace Corps. And unfortunately, you know, the, the, what they're asking for, the medical records, the dental records, the debt, who's going to be responsible for your debt. I ended up getting a job before I was able to complete the whole process. So I came back to work. I came back home. I'm from Alton, Illinois, five hours south of Chicago. So I came back home and I started teaching in Edwardsville, which is where um, SIUE is located, Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. So I'm teaching there. First year was fine. You know, novice teacher. First year is not great for anybody. Right. What, what they teach us in our teacher prep programs is completely different from what we experience in the classroom. So I'm just going through the first year stuff. And then the second year, uh, which was what was it? 2010. Um, this is during the time when <clears throat> all of the budget cuts and stuff were happening. Teachers were being pink slipped for no reason. And I still remember um, I was involuntarily I was involuntarily transferred from one school to another. Mm. And I was transferred to a rural school and I ended up being the only black teacher at this school of about one hundred and ninety five primarily white students. Right. It's 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 what we will refer to as a Trump town. today. Mm. <laughs> so I had all of these horrible encounters and um one day the superintendent called and, you know, basically said, you know, what are your plans for next year? I just want to let you know you're not at risk for being pink slipped. We're going to keep you. And at that point, I still had it in my mind. I want to go abroad. And I had met one of my colleagues, uh, Patty, who was from Brazil. She told me about this whole international teaching thing. Her mother was a principal in Kuwait. And that's when I was exposed to teaching abroad, which I had never heard about it, you know, in my teacher prep program. So I jumped on it. I, I told my superintendent that I wasn't returning the next year and I started looking for opportunities abroad. Wow. So you gave us like the full story of how you, you decided to, to take that leap. And that's so um, incredible. And so you already answered like what made you decide to leave and go teach internationally. But what was what? What was that experience like? What was the same about teaching abroad? What was different about teaching abroad? Um, and, and you did it for a substantive amount of time. So, I mean, yeah. there had to be some uh, benefits to it. So just talk about kind of like what that experience was like for you. I think as I and, and it's, it's interesting because um, especially with the research that I'm doing, I, it, it makes it easier for me because I've already gone through this process. Um, of teaching abroad, but I had never like unpacked my own decision, like those, those, those bigger, right. Systemic things. Um, but I have finally come to realize that it is easier to be a black American abroad than what it is to be a black American in the States. And for me, I mean, it started in my teacher preparation program, just through student teaching. It was like, you know, um, you have your, what is it called? Before your student teaching, you have your practicum hours. And then when you actually go into your student teaching, right? So I'm working with multiple teachers and regardless of, you know, how diverse the student body was, you know, it could be morning meeting and, you know, I'm looking at 20 diverse kids. And I mean, even now, right? The, the cultural difference is still black and brown kids, but even just the cultural differences, um, no matter how diverse the students was, it was always a white teacher in front of them. So 
when I'm preparing for my for my own teaching credentials and I'm experiencing and seeing these different schools and stuff, I'm like, I don't belong here. <laughs> like, and even even if it was, you know, me going into a school where you did see a few black teachers, I'm like, I don't want to be that. You know, I don't want to be the only one, you know, having to deal with all of this stuff by myself. Um, so I, I, I found out early that, you know, I didn't feel like I belonged in the U.S. education system, uh. K through 12 education system. And I think it's interesting because even many of the people that I interviewed for my study, their experiences were completely different because they were in the predominantly, you know, urban schools where all the teachers are black or black and brown or, you know, all the students are black and brown or, or white teachers are the minority in those spaces. And I didn't have that experience in my teacher prep program or in my own in my own teaching, you know, two years in the States. Hmm. But um, yeah, I just find teaching abroad. I mean, it international travel in itself just does something to disrupt a lot of the conditioning that has been put on us, like ascribed to us in the States. I don't feel like we oftentimes have permission to create the lives that we want to live or or access to, you know, the middle life, the middle class lifestyle that, you know, it's it's this whole narrative. Go to school, the, <laughs> the narrative of the black community. Right. Go to school so you can get you a good job. So you keep that good job, you know, and that that job in teaching didn't give me. Look, I'm like, I'm still in poverty, lower class. I just got a degree to go with it. <laughs> Wow. So going abroad, teaching abroad. I mean, it's a it's a whole. It's it's an educational system out there. Let me say that because it is problematic in many ways. But when you're looking at American and international schools in other countries, my way of describing it is just picking up a school in the States and putting it down in another country huh. um, in curriculum. You know, much of the training that I got here, I could walk right into a school and just execute. I didn't need any additional training. I had those those the qualifications for it. But the difference was being able to engage with students that are different. You're in places where everybody's brown uh-huh. <laughs> in places where it's not until you hear me talk that, you know, I'm different. Right. So it just brought something out of me that I didn't even know. You know, I, I never knew I was American until I left America here. I'm just black. Um but another another I'll say benefit of teaching abroad is there are a lot of depending on where you are, the salary could be lucrative. The salary can be lucrative, but the benefits, too. So your housing is provided, um, your medical, your flights, you know, professional development, uh, retirement oftentimes. So there's a lot of benefits that come with teaching abroad as well. So I always say, you know, the middle class lifestyle that I, I could not access in the States, I was able to access it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. That's big. And I think even in the conversation around around education, we often talk about the fact that we don't pay teachers enough. Um, but then we fail to really acknowledge um, that there are other opportunities that are not here. And I think that our society tells us that like America is the only place to be. People are coming from everywhere yeah. to be here. Like yeah. you're so grateful. You're like all of these things. And as grateful as I am to live, to live the life that I have lived, um, that you're, you're showing that it's possible to see and do something different. And I, and I really appreciate bringing that uh, perspective into, into the podcast. And so like, what are the factors that someone who's considering teaching abroad, they're, 
they're interested in it. They, they think that that might be the next step for them. What, what, what is the step-by-step of how they get there? And then what are the factors that they should consider um, in contemplating what that life is going to be like? Yeah. So I think, and I'm trying to think about how do I answer the question. Um, as far as teaching abroad, there's, there's, different understandings as far as what teaching abroad is, because there are like the teaching English as a second language. Um, There are, you know, opportunities to work in higher ed spaces. And then there's, you know, the U.S. K through, well, I'm sorry, the K through 12, right? Um, Where you're working with for-profit private schools. And then there's some government schools too that hire expat teachers to work um, it for the for the local kids. Um, as far as someone who has a background in teaching, right, with state certified teaching credentials, um, you know, a couple years of experience just to be, I don't know, an expert in teaching. I don't know. <laughs> um, there's recruitment agencies. There's a long list of recruitment agencies where basically they serve as a liaison between the schools who have vacancies and the qualified candidates that can fill these vacancies. So some of them are free. Um, Just to shout out a few, I love international school services. Uh, They not only, you know, offer offer like opening the vacancies and stuff, but they also have international recruiting fairs. Uh, When I decided to go abroad, which was crazy, you know, once you start doing the research is there, um, the University of Northern Iowa does an international recruiting fair every year. And that's where I was hired to go to Casablanca, Morocco. And it's pre-COVID. It was one thing. Post-COVID is going to be another. But basically, you know, folks are um, invited to come to a particular city. Iowa, Waterloo is not a city. <laughs> there, And they bring all of the directors or these hiring folks from these international schools to come to this one space, one stop shop. And they're just interviewing. I had six interviews in one weekend. And it's all with, you know, folks who are trying to fill vacancies in these international schools. Um, and then now if there's a lot of virtual spaces as well. Another one is uh, Search Associates and Search Associates has been getting a lot of backlash because um, people are calling them out for their racialized practices, uh. which, you know, sometimes when you're applying for a job abroad, you may have to put your picture on your resume or, you know, some some schools are very particular about what America looks like, what American looks like. So it's like, uh. Black people quota. We got enough. Now we need that white, you know, white person with the blue eyes and the blonde hair because that's where we're selling. Right. People are buying education. Um, so it's it's it, it really is about And then also there's a TIE online. So those are like a couple of recruitment agencies that you can go through if you come from that background of I already have my teaching credentials. I have some years of experience. Um But when it comes to the teaching English as a second language or uh, TEFL teaching English as a foreign language, um, there are other. I don't want to call them recruitment agencies, but they're it's it's like Mm -hmm. that you can go to. So there's a program called Epic, E-P-I-K, and they do a lot of placements in the Asian countries where. I always say, you know, especially with like Chinese and Korean students, their job as a child is to be a student. So they go to school, like traditional school for a certain part of the day. And then after school, they have this like language component, artsy component, and they'll bring in um, expatriate teachers to come and teach English. 
Mm -hmm. and work with them with that. Um, the salaries are completely different. You know, with those opportunities, you may be backpacking and, you know, exploring the world. And then I think on the other end, it is like an international teaching career. Okay. Where a lot of these schools are very known for, you know, preparing global citizens. These students, they uh, compete with these standardized tests. They go to these Ivy Leagues. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a capitalist market, right? People are selling education. So <laughs> where do you want to get in? But yeah. that is the nasty part about it. That's, that's uh -huh. the nasty part about it. And a lot of that self-reflection of where do I sit and, you know, what is this world that I'm, I'm part of? Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's, it's not just, okay, I'm leaving to go and do something completely different. That's going to change my life. It's I'm leaving and I'm looking at these other opportunities and these other abilities um, to teach and learn sometimes in a completely American context. And then sometimes you kind of tailor it toward um, what the needs of the place that you're going are. Exactly. Um, but that's really, really helpful. And I think just even running down some of those things, again, for people who are looking into it, they're getting one insight from someone who's done it. And two, um, having some resources that they can have if it's still something that they're that they're interested in. So check out those places, rewind, repeat what she said, and then make sure that you go and check those out if you're interested in becoming an international teacher. Um, and so I, 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 you already answered my question about resources and we'll make sure that we put it in the caption link in our bio when this episode comes out. But now let, let's, let's talk about what made you come back. Right. I think people can yeah. go and live abroad and stay forever. I, 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 tr I follow so many folks who are just like, yeah, this ain't it. I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. <laughs> um, and so you but you did. And so why was that? What made you come back? Yeah, well, I've come back a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> so the first time I came back. Um, yeah. So I did I did my two years in Morocco and then I did uh, two and a half in Abu Dhabi. And um, I was actually approaching 30 and it was exactly what you're saying. You out here playing in the world, you know, you ain't got no kids, you ain't got no husband, you ain't got no prospect, you know, it's time to come back and get real about life. Mm. And um, I think there is like this, uh, I don't know how to say it. I'm, I'm playing with it because I think burnout is inevitable mm. and you're always going to burn out if you're not consistently growing. Right. Mm. When you okay. get to that, you know, routine mundane, like I can teach with my eyes closed mm. <laughs> or if I see one more yacht party, you know, or if I, you know, travel to one more country, you know, it's like it, it doesn't have any value or substance in it because you're mm. in yourself. So um, when I decided to come back in 2015, uh, that's when I applied for my PhD programs. Because mm. I, I always had an inkling. I love, I mean, if I'm not teaching, I'm a student, right? So I, I love education. And um, just kind of seeing professional development in the sense that, you know, the person who is offering these resources and this information, I know because I'm in the classroom, I know more than, than this person knows. It was always like, but Tiffany, you have more to contribute, right? It's not just about being in the classroom. What else do you want to do? Um, so I wanted to go back to school to get this PhD. Um, so I applied for six programs and I was uh, selected into two. And then um, just coming back, it was, you know, just start your start your PhD program, which was amazing. I mean, it was absolutely amazing to be in that space of learning, right? When wow. learning was just normalized. I love it. And there's always so many questions because even when I started the program, it was, 
you know, yeah, I've been teaching abroad. I want to I, I potentially potentially want to do my research on um, African-American teachers abroad, you know, and not knowing how to conceptualize it. I'm just telling people about my experience. Yeah. So my, the response would be, oh, you know, were you in the Peace Corps? No, I was just teaching abroad. Oh, were you in the military? No, I was just teaching abroad. Mm-hmm. I realized, like how little how li- even now, how little we know about this world as far as like American and international schools, the Brits know all about it. The Irish, mm-hmm. and all these Europeans, they out there, like this is their normal lives. Um, but for Americans, for some reason, we're not engaged in those conversations. So um, since I've been in my program, uh, even just trying to get an understanding of my, my research, I went to the UAE and I did a pilot study and, you know, just trying to connect with people who would I interview. I did that in 2018 and I stayed for a month, a month and a half. And then I came back and then um, this pandemic, <laughs> like, hey, hey, puppy. This is online podcasting. Right, the real of it. Podcasting. The real of it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but recently I uh, ended up getting a fellowship through the um Al-Qasimi Foundation, which is in Ras al-Khaimah. So uh, the UAE is Abu Dhabi, Dubai. There's seven different emirates and Ras al-Khaimah is the most northern um, to Oman. So uh, yeah, I went and did the whole fellowship, uh, what was supposed to be seven months of data collection because of this thing called COVID. I ended up staying for 14 months. So um, I actually just got back in December. Yeah. So, I mean, this reverse culture shock is real. I mean, I'm an American, but even coming back home, it's a lot of shifts. Uh Yeah. I don't know. And I guess that's the thing. Like you mentioned Baldwin before, uh, before we started recording, Baldwin has been like the crux of understanding all of this. Right. Uh And one of the things that I appreciate about his vocabulary and the way that he's able to describe who he was and what he was doing, Uh he labels himself. So he he's known as the black expatriate. And I mean, regardless of what interview you listen to, you know, whatever book you read about him, he was always consistent in saying that I am not an expatriate. I'm not expatriating anything. If anything, I'm looking for a space for me to be able to do my work, right, in comparisons to better understand it. Like his work was always about America, even if he was doing it in another country. So he called himself a trans transatlantic commuter. And I'm embodying that because I'm even when I'm abroad, even when I'm here, even when I'm commuting between, you know, multiple countries, it's never done, you know. I think that is the process, just this commuting between spaces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> particularly because the earth is so small now. Amen. The farthest place for you to get on earth by plane is is 24 hours, 20, like it doesn't take that long to be somewhere else. And then and then I don't have to be somewhere else. You're in a completely different state than I am. And we are having an intense and immense and incredible conversation right now. So I think that like what you're saying and then bringing in the piece as a as a fellow Baldwinite, um, <laughs> looking at our ability to make connections between the United States um, and what it means to be Black here and what it means to be Black an American and be in other spaces is super is this very very in, integral part of of Pan Africanism, 
Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. It's it's the idea that we are all deeply and intrinsically connected uh, because of the lived experience of the of the world. And, and so I think it's so important to have someone who says like, yes, I went, I came, I saw all of these things. I came back. I'm now I'm studying this. I'm learning more about this. I'm engaging and researching with folks. And then um, and then I'm, I'm making these connections that are that are integral to, to figuring out how we as a society um in a society like meaning a world society exactly bridge the gaps of difference um it, it's so important I, I i absolutely love that um and as someone who's just obsessed with travel like can change <laughs> get out of here covid go away got my second vaccine yesterday so i oh, am look at you oh i am i mean i'm not saying i'm just getting on a plane hopping out here we got to see what's going on but I can't wait until this world opens up again. Um, and so now, I mean, you discussed a little bit about, about your PhD program and what you research and what you study. And so, I mean, just as a researcher, as a, as a learner, a continuous learner, how has it informed your practice and just your belief system around what needs to happen or change about the education system here in America, but then also those schools um, that, are, that are picking up and, and moving the system somewhere else? Well, what are the things that need to change and happen based off of what you've been, what you've been learning and the knowledge you've been creating? Amen. That's a great question. Um, so <laughs> I have to be honest and say that I'm still figuring it out. That's the whole writing part. <laughs> but a couple of different um, ideas have come up. And I do. I, I want to take a little bit of time and just talk a, a, a little bit about um, African-American teachers and the significance of using uh, African-American teachers as my focus, because I'm I'm super surprised. And I guess I'm not. I guess I'm not. When I started talking to people about my research and I said, I am examining African-American teachers. The question was always, well, you know, why do they matter? Why African-American teachers? Like, why are they significant? Right. And I had to do the research myself to, to be able to academically say, OK, and this is why it matters. But to me, it matters because it matters because I'm black. That's why. It matters. <laughs> but just to give a little bit of context, because this is about my studies, particularly is about recruitment and retention. And, you know, there is this notion that the U.S. PK through 12 system is a revolving door because people come in, but they go right back out. Right. So when you're looking at these statistics about, you know, when teachers come in and they leave, OK, teachers leave within the first four to five years. Why? And why in general is one thing, but then talking about African-American teachers, it's another. So um, some scholars, and I guess there's two points. Some scholars will say like African-American teachers are dissatisfied and dissatisfaction is through this lens of lack of autonomy and lack of, um, how do you say it? Lack of uh, impact or, you know, they're not part of these conversations about um, school district policies and they don't have like any involvement in it. So because they're just basically, you know, put in the classroom, execute, do what I'm telling you to do, they leave and they're dissatisfied. So that's one way of looking at why why black teachers leave. Right. This is what the literature is saying about black teachers. Um, and then there's this other lens, which I think is absolutely amazing because it just messed my brain up. Um, there's a, a plethora of scholars who are basically saying that because of Brown versus Board of Education, there were unintended consequences of school integration. So um, just to put some numbers out here, because I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, in 1950, before Brown, 
nearly half of all black professionals in the U.S. were teachers. Right. So in 1954, there were 82,000 teachers responsible for America's 2000. I'm sorry, two million black students. This is during segregation. We had our own stuff. So then in 1954, when Brown came in um, between 1954 and 1972, um, what is it? Almost 40,000 teachers lost their jobs. And while black black students were integrating into white schools, black teachers weren't. Right. We didn't we we weren't able to go into these white schools and some of us made it, which is a whole different conversation. But uh, many of us didn't. So then you have these um, like policies where now and or if you want to go into teaching, now we're going to start, you know, certification tests. In addition to the schooling where we had to create these HBCUs so teachers can get even the education. Now, even after you get the education, we're going to add credentials. Right. So now you have to have these this certification. And um, there's this scholar, Cole, Beverly Cole, Barbara Cole. I'm forgetting her, her first name. But she said African-American teachers are at risk at becoming an endangered species because we're about to be dismissed from this whole educational system. Right. So even now in 2015, I think it, it may be 15, 16, because there's like, you know, data out there out of the three point eight million teachers in the States, African-Americans were 250,000. We only represent like 6.7% of the teacher profession. So I think it's sad. It's absolutely sad because when when I, I'm, I'm inspired, I'll say, uh, my advisor sent me an article the other day, and this is specific to Minnesota because I'm still based in Minnesota as far as my program. Um, the Star Tribune on the front page, there's this, this black man and he's in the, in front of the classroom, you know, and the headline is basically saying um, we need to recruit more black male teachers. Right. And talking about like these statistics of if young black boys have at least one black teacher in their early years. And this is specifically for primary schools, uh, their graduation rates increase, all this stuff. And they are doing an initiative to fundraise for 80 million dollars to bring more black male teachers in. And I'm thinking and this is where my research come in. Why are we still talking about recruitment? Right. Like we know how to get people in. But the question is, how do we get them to stay? Right. And not even I mean, before we even get to the question of how do we get them to stay? Why are we leaving? It's not in school factors. Right. It's not the stuff that we're experiencing on a daily basis. I think there's this this out of school factor issue that hasn't been discussed and why it's easier for me as a black American to teach in the UAE than it is for me to teach in America. Right. So I think I imagine, you know, this young man who's on the front of the of the newspaper, they were bragging like, oh, he does praise calls. He calls the parents and tells, you know, when their kids have a good day, like veteran teachers been doing that for years. That ain't nothing. But what I do want to see is in three years, is he still going to be making them same praise calls or is he going to be beat down, grinded down, shut down because of the issues of the system of education? So my question, and especially with this research is, you know, not only about retention, but also about restoration. Like, how do we give teachers that the, re-energize them? How do we give them the resources for them to do that self-work, for them to get that well-being, to be able to show up? Right. For this other mothering, other fathering, everything that we do aside from the curriculum. you know. <laughs> but it, it really is, I guess, you know, in a, in a nutshell, I'll say my research is really inspiring me to to go more toward that retention piece, 
because I'm not an advocate for, you know, although I do have experience teaching abroad, I'm not an advocate for all of our American teachers to get up and go abroad. I think that going abroad does something for us as far as restoration. Um, but essentially, I would love for us to come back and, you know, not go back to the classroom, but to also get into these administrative policy positions where our experiences in the class in the classroom is, you know, recreating and, and innovatively thinking about what education is and what the system is. Absolutely. Oh, I love it so much. And and it's so powerful to hear, like even hearing you say restoration. The Listen, I'm a first year teacher and I feel like I need to be restored. Um, so it's it's truly it's how are educators feeling um years and years into this and how do you keep them and make them stay when the when it's a profession that obviously needs a lot of needs a lot of support and clearly from a systemic standpoint to your to your to your original point there um is 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 not doing what needs to be done uh, to, to service the students, which in turn definitely doesn't serve doesn't serve the teachers. And so um, that is such incredible work, and I'm so um, excited to 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 see what comes of it and how the, those those who choose uh, the, the academia as as their means of activism, what comes from that, and how it how it happens in in actuality, how systems begin to change um, and 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 inform themselves by the research that's happening that cl- that is clearly showing uh, that, that it's difficult to retain Black teachers uh, spe- for, for very specific reasons. Yeah. Um, and, and so those were those were all my questions. I, I don't <laughs> think we got to the end so fast. We were just so good. Um, and, and so I always want to end uh, the podcast the very same way, turning you um, into the interviewer. And I am now the interviewee. And, and you get to ask me a question about the topic at hand and kind of whatever my opinions and, and, and thoughts are. Well, one of the things that I'm I'm excited about, right, the future is me interviewing you on my podcast because um, your experience with Teach for America is uh, something that I need to touch on in my research because it has come up, but I'm not quite sure about how to talk about it. <laughs> so we'll get into it. Right. One of the things in particular, um, especially since I, I was I touched on dismissal. Um, There is a life historian who was talking about Louisiana and after Hurricane Katrina, uh, when they used the charter school movement to kind of rebuild, you know, the education system there, a lot of the veteran teachers were dismissed and replaced by Teach for America teacher. (laughs) So me interviewing you, um, not necessarily what are your thoughts about TFA, but, you know, is there anything that you've gained from your experience with TFA? And then, you know, is this a space that you would encourage not just novice teachers, but folks who are interested in becoming teachers? Would that be an avenue that you would encourage them to go into? Ooh, I feel like I have to answer this question politically correct. <laughs> Um, as a Teach for America core member, a current Teach for America core member, in my interview, they knew who I was. So I don't, I don't shy away from conversations such as this because they knew who I was from the jump. Um, it was critical of them in my interview. Mm-hmm. So I, I de- they they understand I'm very critical of the of the premise of Teach for America. And so I think that it is it's really important to to if we're looking at society, um, credentials are important but not as important as lived experience and, and, and reflection and, and the commitment to growth. Um, so replacing people who have that 
fundamental understanding of that need in education is a problem. And Teach for America being a part of that is a problem. Um, do what I what I advocate for someone who wants to work in education to go through Teach for America. It's a yes and a no. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are someone who wants to work in the education system and wants to be here for the long haul, um, it's a yes and a no. It, it depends on who you are. It depends on what school you get placed in. It depends on the, the, the professional development that the school you get placed in um, provides for you. And so Teach for America, although they don't give you an extensive pr- preparation when you go into the classroom, so it's four to eight weeks that you get beforehand in the summer and then you're like, go. And some people would say that that is intrinsically a problem. I don't agree with that. I Mm -hmm. think that there are people who go through a two year master's program at Ivy league colleges who are horrible teachers and who don't, and who don't know what social don't know how to implement and create stories and engage with kids in the way that they need to, to, to really liberate children through education. But then there's also folks who get to, I love black people and I wanna be of service and I really wanna see a change in our society who can just write that essay. Right, because they got this. Into TFA and it doesn't mean that they're living that life. And so it's a, it's a holistic systemic problem where even the schools that do choose to partner with Teach for America, because Teach for America doesn't get to dictate how it works when you're actually in the classroom. They just facilitate. So they get to say, oh, we just we just handed the kid off. We just gave you the teacher. We didn't, we oh, didn't, wow. we weren't a part of, of what happened after that. And so I think it's it's important that TFA gets really critical about what schools they partner with. Um, and I think it's really important that the schools that they do partner with have a commitment to understanding that I don't have the lived experience of being a teacher coming in as my first year. Um, I had teaching experience before coming into TFA, but many of my colleagues did not. And, and having experience doesn't necessarily make you better, but it's extraordinarily important. And if someone yeah. doesn't have that experience, it is integral that the school gives them the professional development and the work and the reflection time that they need to become an educator that's willing Uh, to do the work to set kids free. Because again, that's what education is supposed to be. It's not supposed to fill you with facts and figures. It's not supposed to make you feel less than who you are. It's not supposed to prepare you for a test. Education is supposed to get you closer to freedom. And so um, the question that comes all up in this is like, it is in TFA doesn't change it. The school you're placed at doesn't change it. It's a systemic problem. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I can't answer that question with a yes or a no. It's if you know that education is not where you want to be um, and you just want to give back to the community, go volunteer somewhere. <laughs> I, 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 I go volunteer somewhere. It, these kids aren't the example. Yeah. They're not. They're not the practice, and they're not disposable, right? They're so when not- you mess them up, that 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 impacts their adult life. <laughs> it changes everything. Just the way that we, all of us who get into TFA, who are cons- considerably high achieving folks, you don't become high achieving without a certain level of mentorship, without a certain level mm-hmm. of commitment to education, without a certain level of understanding. But you can become high achieving without having racial literacy. You can become high achieving without um, understanding implicit bias. You can be high achieving without understanding that um, 
you have to see a child as fully human in order to teach them. Amen. And so I I, I love that question so much because TFA, I love y'all. Like, you know that. <laughs> you also know that like, you're going to get this work when y'all not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And an organization that big can't uh, be, can't be perfect. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, and so they, they, they have tremendous work to do in order to be a part of sy- the, the sort of systemic change um, that we need for education to serve black children. I love it. I love it. I love it. And this is this is my work. I'm like, so let's stop with the student center conversations and let's start having these teacher center conversations because there is a divide between TFA and certified teachers and even how that shows up in some of the classrooms. So I got to do my research on TFA, too. We, we, we got. And so y'all listen to this. You got a little tidbit of talking about uh, what 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 it means to change education and in the United States as someone who loves to travel as someone who loves to compare the way that we do things here to the way that we do things outside of this country. Um, and you'll have to have to check back when I'm on uh, the abroad and education podcast coming. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Please as our final ask, uh, let folks know where they can find you, where they can get in touch with your podcast, the ways that they can connect and engage with you. Yeah. So um, on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me abroad underscore in underscore ed. So that's abroad underscore I in underscore ed. And you can always go to the website abroadandeducation.com. I need to do more with Facebook, but, you know, we're there. Let's, let's do some, some fundraising so I can get a marketing specialist or something because I love it here. Like, I don't want to do the, the social media stuff. But yes, if you're interested in connecting with me, you can find me there. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, everyone listening. I'll see you next week.